Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, as we continue in this series, mini-series called Growing in Love. And you know, throughout this year, our desire has been just to know God, to know Him has been our theme. And in that, we see that God wants us to know Him, His love. And that's manifested in this relationship of the husband and wife. And it's a beautiful thing when it works like God wants it to, right? It's a very painful thing when it doesn't. And, you know, I can't help but go back to Amos 3.3 in my mind. Can two walk together except they be what? Agreed. You know, and if we're not in agreement, then oftentimes there's conflict, there's trouble, there's problems. When two people are working toward a t- common goal, there can be great camaraderie, there can be success there. Uh, but when they're working at odds against each other, it can create a lot of problems. Uh, there's a story about Jimmy Durante. Anybody know who he is? All right, good. Some of our folks that are over 50 know who he is. Those of us who are 40 and younger, we had to look him up on YouTube to find out who this guy was. I know it's bad. But he was after World War II. He was asked to do a show uh, just for the veterans of World War II. And, and so his schedule was very busy. And he said, listen, my schedule's very full. I only have a few minutes. I'm going to come out. I'll do a monologue. And then i got to run to catch my plane to do the next thing. And so he got in there. And he began to do his monologue. And he just kept going and kept going. First 15, then 20 minutes, then 30 minutes. And finally, he took a last bow and he left the stage. And backstage, someone stopped him and said, I thought you were, just had to go. I thought you only had a few minutes. What? happened? And he said, listen, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason I stayed. You can see for yourself if you look down on the front row. Down there on the front row were two men. One had lost his left arm, the other his right arm. They stood shoulder to shoulder, and as they laughed, they clapped together. (laughs) I tell you, that's something that God wants us to do in marriage. And we think about this marriage relationship, and, and without one, it's almost like you've got an arm missing. You ever have been in a place where your wife or your, or your husband is missing, uh, they're gone for the weekend or, or whatever, you can feel like, man, you're a one-armed man, you're missing the other half, amen? And so we see that God says that in marriage, there is, when we're working together, there is a great unity, there's a great blessing there. And when we're, when we're working toward a goal or a common purpose, it promotes unity in marriage. You know, we see, listen, God's called us to this. Uh, This is our purpose in marriage. Then there's unity. Like those two buddies who just learned how to clap on their own, or, or no matter what it may be. You see, because when we work toward a common purpose, God allows unity to be developed. We see this in sports, don't we? I love baseball. I don't watch it very often. Most of the time I just don't sit still long enough. But I like, to, I like baseball. I loved to play it when I was a little younger. And we would go out and we'd play softball as a church And when I was a member in uh, Bible Baptist in Ennis, Texas. And, and, and uh, I even got my wife to play once or twice. It was a miracle. We were just desperate for... Uh, 
That sounds really bad. That did not mean it like that. But we were sort of player and she agreed to play. That's a better way to say it. So forgive me for uh, making it sound like she was bad. She would probably say that she was that bad. But we got out there and we'd play together and there was camaraderie there in that ball team because we were all for the same goal. We wanted to beat the, the other team, which was uh, the Catholic Church or the Methodist Church or the Church of Christ or whoever it was we were playing against. It was a church league and so we are playing against all these other churches. You know, there was a camaraderie. There was a unity there. There was a stranger who was walking down a residential street and he noticed a man struggling, trying to get this washing machine into his house. And so he said, man, I'm going to be a help to my neighbor here. And so he got up there and he said, hey, let me give you a hand. He got on the washing machine, he started pushing. And man, this thing was not going through the door. And man, they're laboring five minutes later. You know, man, we don't talk, we just do. And so they're, they're pushing and pulling and pushing and pulling. And then all of a sudden, they stop and the, the guy who's trying to get the washing machine uh, out of the house looks at the guy who just came and he says, man, I didn't think it was going to be this hard to get it out. He said, I, you're getting it out? I thought we were trying to put it in. You see, purpose is important, isn't it? It's important in every aspect. When we're dating, we have this idea that, listen, I, my, my purpose is to make you happy. I want to make my wife... I remember when we first started dating. Man, I didn't have much money, but we'd go to all the finest restaurants I could find. Taco Bell, McDonald's. You get the picture. And boy, we'd go and we'd, we'd sit, get, sit down and we'd talk and I'd bring her gifts and I would put signs in her car while she was working. I would write her letters and remind her how, much, how, much, uh, how important she was to me. And the list went on and on and on. And while I was working, she would write on the back of my truck, Stud Muffin. Not a joke, but you cannot call me that, all right? Listen, we go out of our way to make one another feel special when we're dating, and then all of a sudden, something happens when we get married, and all of a sudden we think, well, listen, purpose just changed when we said, I do. Instead of me trying to fulfill your needs and your desires, now you've got to fulfill mine. You know, it creates a big problem, doesn't it? And it creates create some discontent and there's broken expectations that happen in this. And, and because without a compass or without an overriding purpose statement, oftentimes we get lost in the mix. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. What is the vision for your family? What's the vision for your relationship with your spouse? You see, without an overriding purpose, not of selfishness, but where there's selflessness, where you're willing to put the personal pleasures for yourself aside so that you can serve the other. The Apostle Paul commands us in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. He said, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. You see, before we ever get to Ephesians 5, I remind you that he calls us to walk worthy. We're called to a walk this is a destination, a purpose. And in this purpose, we're called to put off this selfishness uh, that is of this world and put on the mind and the Spirit of Christ. And we see this in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, he says this, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You see, what he says is, listen, instead of being consumed with me, I'm called to be consumed with Christ and with others. 
You see, that's that principle of selflessness. This principle of selflessness should be part of every part of our being. Every aspect of my life as a Christian should emulate this part of Christ. I belong to Him. I've got a higher purpose. And he says this in Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. You know what he's saying? He's saying emulate Christ. Everything that you have seen in His life, every uh, step that He stepped, every place that He went, every purpose that He put on, guess what? That is your purpose. The church in Antioch was first called Christian because they were so much like Christ that they said, listen, we're going to give them a new name. They're not just uh, the people of the way anymore. We're going to call them Christians. They are Christ-like. They follow His example. So when we see this, we, we see that God wants us to put on that mind of Christ. Marriage, raising a family, that's part of the purpose that God has for us. Marriage is specifically designed to help us fulfill the purpose of living for Christ. And so in our text today, we'll read one verse. We've got a whole lot more uh, we're going to look at. But we'll find that there is a call to purposeful love. A reason that my wife and I are married. A reason that our family exists. And when a man and woman who are knit together in matrimony are fulfilling this purpose, there's great joy in the home. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 33 in your Bible. The very last verse of this, kind of like as a summary of what he's been teaching so far regarding the home. And he says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's stop and pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage. We thank you for the call to be like Christ, to put on your purpose in this life. Lord, there's a lot of temptation to live for our own purposes, but God instead help us to find fulfillment and contentment in you. Lord, for where there is godliness and contentment, there is great gain. So God, help those families that are here struggling today. Help us, Lord, that are maybe trying to chase after our own ambitions to set those things aside and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. We love you, Father, and thank you for this time we have together this morning. May you be glorified here in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's four things I want to share with you this morning about a purposeful love that, help, that God wants us uh, to put on. So there's these four things will help us have that purpose in this relationship. And it begins primarily with a relationship with God. We see this, this is pretty much uh, written throughout Ephesians 5. But before we go to Ephesians 5, I want you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 26. You see, because marriage should enhance our walk with God. In, Genesis, in, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we find that we are uniquely made by God for a relationship with God. You see, God says this in Genesis 1.26, and God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see, in God's very first creation, we find that uh, that. We were unique, unique because we could communicate with Him, unique because we could walk with Him, we could fellowship, have a relationship with God. It was different than any other creature or creation. You know, the whales, as, as many uh, people that want to save the whales, uh, sometimes it's the same people that want to abort the babies. 
But let me just encourage you, God didn't create the whales to have relationship with Him. He created us to have relationship with Him. You're, you're unique. You're, and you, are, uh, you have that aspect that God says, listen, I've made you in my image. There's nothing else with that kind of uh, comment uh, about their creation. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God. And so after God created Adam, uh, then Adam, uh, and, uh, and he took Adam, and he took a rib from Adam, and he created Eve. And this couple then had a relationship where they walked with God in the garden. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8, after they had sinned, but we see that what happened here is that, uh, a picture of their relationship. And they heard a voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There was this time where men walked with God in the Garden of Eden. This was, this was God's original purpose, that we might have a relationship with God. But you see, this, this purpose was broken by sin. It was broken because sin entered into the picture. And even though we're sinners, we find that God still loves us. And, and we quoted this at the very, uh, right after the song today, and the song alluded to this same thought in 1 John 4.10, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, God loves us in spite of our sin. As a matter of fact, He loves us enough to offer salvation uh, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. In Acts chapter 17 and 27, it says that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not, very far, uh, not far from every one of us. You see, uh, His original intent is still the same today, that we might have relationship with Him. You see, in, in our marriage relationship, I can help my wife hunger after a relationship with Christ if I model it first. You see, men, God's called us to lead our families. God's called us to be that example uh, for them. And so I want to encourage you, let, uh, let them see Christ in you. Let them, hunger, let them see that hunger for Christ in your life above everything else. A few weeks ago, I, I shared with you that oftentimes in counseling, I talk to these young couples that are coming and they're getting ready to get married. And I ask them this question, how does he or how does she help you to become more like Christ? That one uh, Later, after that service, a husband in our congregation said, listen, preacher, my wife drives me to my knees. <laughs> That's not quite the intention. But what we find is that God wants us to walk together. You know, sin doesn't only affect our relationship with the Father, but it affects our relationship with our spouse. It destroys relationships in marriage. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, you're not going to find that in a book. You're going to find that in the Bible. And he says, Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You see, they're tied together. This relationship with my spouse, my relationship with God, it's important that I keep a, not only a good relationship with her, but with the Lord, and because it's all tied together. This spiritual aspect in the home is important. You see, when I harbor sin in my life, it becomes a barrier not only to walking with God, but walking with my wife. But when we confess our sins, the Bible says there is freedom. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know, the tendency oftentimes in churches, listen, I don't want anybody to know that I'm a failure. I don't want anybody to know that I'm a sinner. I'm going to tell you right now that we're all sinners in this place. 
I'm going to tell you right now that all of us in this place have some time or another failed. Listen, we may have a suit and a tie on. You may be in overalls. It doesn't matter. The reality is that we're all sinners. Who, uh, And if you're a believer today, you're just a sinner that's saved by grace. So there may be times when a husband or wife has to confront sin. And maybe you have to deal with some things. And this is what Galatians guides us. And he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a man in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Notice it's that spirit of meekness, not of haughtiness, not of arrogance, but it's coupled with a desire to help them walk with Christ once again, to reestablish this relationship. Why? Because ultimately God desires that even in marriage that it would uh, exemplify my relationship with Him. See, everything about uh, this uh, earthly relationship should point us back to heaven. You see, sin is still a barrier that comes between a man and a wife. It is sin that keeps us from truly being one. Someone asked me uh, a few years ago, and they said, Preacher, well, well, I know my spouse in heaven. And I smiled and I reminded them, I said, Listen, you're not going to just know your spouse. You're going to know them better than you could ever imagine. Because there's no barriers. You see, on this earth, and, and some of you have been married 50, 60, and yet had some couples that were married 70 years before the Lord called them to heaven Listen, though we're married for a long time, there are still barriers to oneness and unity, and that biggest barrier is sin. But guess what's absent in heaven? There's no sin. There's no barrier for me to know my wife, and there won't be the same type of relationship, but there will be a a, a unity there like we've never experienced before. I will truly know her in a greater way in heaven. Listen, when we can remove sin from our life, when we walk closer with the Lord, there is, I remember last year, last week I, I brought you that image of that triangle and I forgot to put it back on the screen for today. But, and when Christ is at the top and He's what you're focused on, it draws you naturally together because it removes sin in your life. And so maybe, maybe man, you're here today as the husband and you think, man, I have failed on several efforts. I've not led my family in prayer. I've not uh, been willing to get rid of some things in my life. I've not been willing to deal with some things uh, because of fear, because of uh, you know whatever it may be, uh, because it maybe just feels weird. Let me just encourage you. God's called you to lead your family. Leading your family is not being a dictator. Leading your family is being like Christ. Husbands, God's called us to lead our families in, uh, to the throne of the Lord. Mothers, God's called you to help point your children into God in the midst of a crisis. Listen, when you're doing that, what you're helping them to see is that God is over all things in this world. You see, God has called each of us to godliness, to walk after Christ. And I think about Kristen and I, we entered into marriage almost 22 years ago. Uh, She has helped me become a more godly man with each and every passing year. You see, that's the way this relationship is supposed to start. You know, above everything else, the very primary purpose of marriage is that we might have a stronger relationship with Christ. You see, when that's present, it brings peace in the home. Secondly, we see that God's called us and that purpose is a service to God. A relationship with God, now service to God. You know, there are four uh, pillars or foundations in life. 
One of His faith, we're talking about the Lord just now, our family's importance, our friends, but also service. These things help us to find fulfillment in, in this life. And so having a meaningful uh, way that we can serve, having a meaningful way where we can give back. Even if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God gives instructions for men regarding service or meaningful work. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and 28, there again it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we see God's creation. And he says, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the sea of the, uh, the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then the next chapter, in, verse, in chapter 2 and verse 15, we see uh, the Lord gives further instructions. And the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. You see, God gave him meaningful work even while he was here. Listen, there was no curse. You, have you noticed that it just seems like if you have to go to work anymore, it's a curse? But God says that, listen, it helps us to have meaning in this life when we apply ourselves to something uh, that is a service. And so I'm called uh, then to serve. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have a place of service. God's still going to have a purpose for me there. And so I'm, I'm grateful that God just doesn't say, listen, do whatever you want. Instead, He gives us a purpose. But as a husband, God calls me to love and to lead my wife. That's my purpose as a husband. But the leadership is not just a, a dictatorship, as I've said a while ago. It's a servant-styled leadership. Christ emulated this for us. In Matthew chapter 20, look there in your Bible, because there's several verses I want you to see. Because He had this Christ-like style, and this, uh, this servant-style leadership uh, that He wants us to copy as well. Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20, and we'll read through verse number 28 this morning. The Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand, and the other on thy left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. For whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even so the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Notice this mother and, and these boys had this idea that the same of many of us have today. Listen, work hard so that uh, others will work hard for you. You know, we want to be, uh, be able to climb the rung, if we will. But Christ's idea of leadership is the higher up you go, the, much, the further down you must bend. You see, that's the difference here. And, and even Christ, He compares it and He says, listen, you know the Gentiles, you know their mindset is that, uh, that they exercise authority, but I'm calling you instead to exercise servanthood. What a difference. What a difference when a husband says, I want to follow Christ in every way. And so, as God's called me to be the leader of my home, I want to be the chief servant in my home. 
I want to go low. I want to make sure that in every aspect of this, I, I, I fulfill in Christ's idea. And Christ's concern was to meet the needs of others. We see this from His very purpose statement that He gave in Luke 19.10. I'm come to seek and to save the lost. He, he sacrificed His entire life so that we might have life. His needs, His wants, His desires, His aspirations, all of those were sacrificed for the care of those around Him. He tells then the husbands to do the same. Look in Ephesians 5, back in our text with us, verse number 25 through 27. And God gives this command to husbands. He said, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You see, the difference is, is that the man is called then to love like Christ loved. Now, I don't know about other, other husbands, I just know me, and I just know this, that seems impossible. Oftentimes it seems uh, like I cannot possibly love the, the same capacity that God has loved me, but every day I realize that I must wake up and die to self and live for this purpose. You see, my purpose is rooted on helping my family have a good relationship with Christ, but also demonstrating what it is to serve God. Jesus, His example was in Philippians 2. We're going to pick up again in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. You see, Christ's example is laid out throughout Scripture, whether it's Matthew 20, Philippians 2, or even if you go back just simply to the cross of Calvary, we can see that Christ laid down His life. You see, when we fulfill the God-given roles that God's called for us, especially as husbands, then we find that the others, uh, others in our family are willing to follow our examples. Billy Sunday said, this, to, and I, I like it. He said, try praising your wife, even if it frightens her at first. <laughs> Listen, that, God's called us to love like Christ has. The third thing we see is submission in God. Now, I know already, you, as soon as you say the, the word submission in our culture, uh, oftentimes walls go up, barriers are formed, and you think, oh, brother, here he is. But listen, submission is a very good thing, and we're talking about that to this morning because I want you to see the blessings of this because first, before he ever gets to wifely submission, there is first a godly submission in verse number 21. He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So we see that this is initially a call for all of us in the church to be able to say, listen, I want this, this heart of submission, this heart of humility that says, God, you are everything to me. And as we submit humbly to Christ, there is some submission to one another's needs that follows. It's a supernatural work. I, it's not the byproduct uh, of uh, my natural man, but of the spiritual man. Sir Ernest Shackleton shared a story that uh, as he was, uh, and his ship crewmen were, uh, had um, gotten, their ship had gotten trapped in the Arctic and it had, was crushed by the ice, and so they had to uh, get out of their ship and make it across Antarctica uh, on foot. And it, it was a terrible, terrible time, and, and then they finally got a boat and was able to get out uh, and, and get rescued. Uh, 
And one particular night, they were down to the last of their rations. They had distributed everything they had left. And there were just one biscuit left is all he had, they, they had given out to everybody. And every man went to sleep that night. And when everyone thought the others were asleep, he sensed a very stealthy movement. And he saw one of his men uh, turning to see how the others were faring. And he kind of looked up and he was trying to see, are they still awake? And, and as he uh, noticed that everybody seemed to be asleep, he got out of his bed, he grabbed his biscuit bag, and then he went over to his neighbor who was not far from him, and he grabbed his biscuit bag. And Ernest Shackleton was laying there watching everything was going on, and, and he was just full of suspense. And he thought, is this... As he, this is a guy that would have trusted with my life, and here he is about to steal from another man. He says, what am I going to do? This is his last biscuit. And then he saw something else, something he didn't expect. This man who had gotten up took his biscuit out of his bag and put it in his, his friend's bag. That man was, on his, was sick, he was dying, and he said, I'm going to give him what I have. You see, that kind of submission, that kind of act of love demonstrates the care of Christ. And it's the same kind of submission and that same kind of idea that we have in this marriage relationship. Because agape love that God calls us to is not selfish. It's not me first. It's Christ first. It's her first. John Ashbrook said this, first notice the necessity of mutual submission. Verse 21 is the transition verses between uh, the two major paragraphs of the chapter. It uses the same Greek word for submission, which is applied to the wife in the remainder of the chapter. But observe that this verse is talking about a mutual submission to one another. Whenever I talk to young couples who desire to be married, I start here. For in marriage, both parties lose the independent exercise of their personal rights. That goes for a man as well as a woman. The man loses his independence in the marriage relationship just as a woman loses hers, and failure to recognize this has led many to a divorce. The second thing to be observed is the meaning of the word submission. The Greek word used is the military word hupazo. And its basic meaning is to put oneself in a lower rank. That does not mean that the person in the lower ranks, uh, in, the, in the lower ranks of less worth or wisdom than the person in higher rank. You see, battles are won by a willing submission to the roles that we are called to fulfill. And so he deals with this issue here. And over the years, the idea of submission has gotten a bad rap, and many hear the word and they immediately plug their ears. I don't want to listen to you, preacher. All you're going to yell is submission, but that's not what God's intent is. Matter of fact, if we acknowledge, especially as a wife, she acknowledged the God-given position, there's liberty there in those roles. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, he says, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Think about this relationship as he compares these two. He says, Christ is co-equal with a father. Philippians chapter 2 establishes that. But he also was willing to submit to the will of the father. They're co-equal, co-valuable. Uh, they, are, they are one in essence. But at the same time, Christ was willing to do the will of the Father. Remember, the Bible says in 11, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven nine, Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Understand that God has given us a role, uh, and women a role of that of completer. We mentioned at the very beginning that the two armed men, and it's almost like we walk side by side, and together we can be one but apart, we feel broken. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 18, And the Lord said, It is not good 
that the man should be alone, I will make him and help me for him. You know what he said? I'm going to give him a completer. Adam looked at all the critters that he saw, and he named them all, and then he realized he was incomplete. There were two monkeys, there were two elephants, there were two dogs, you can go down the list, but there was only one of him, and he was incomplete, and he asked the Lord about it, and the Lord created woman to complete the, the, the man. The idea is that of a, a support pillar, and someone stole my uh, illustration. Did you, did you steal my umbrella? Where is it at? Can, I, can you get me an umbrella? Someone get me an umbrella. Not all at once, thank you. All right, I love it when I was afraid that might disappear because it was out of place. All right, so you got to picture an umbrella, all right? So think about a support pillar in an umbrella. You open that umbrella up, and that rod that goes up in the middle is a support. Without that support, the umbrella top is useless, right? But what's the point of having the support if you don't have an umbrella top? Thank you. We look at this here, and the Bible says that this relationship with a man and wife is the same way. The wife, the Bible says, is like that support pillar. And she helps to complete the whole package. You see, maybe the husband has got that, uh, uh, that job of being that uh, protector of his family. And as long as the two are working together for a common purpose, that, that job of protecting uh, that the, the lady, she stays under that pillar, of, uh, under that umbrella of protection, but she also helps sustain that umbrella so that it works like it should. You see, there's a beautiful picture here in marriage as well because the idea behind the God-given roles in marriage, one supports the other, but both are incomplete without the other. One's not more valuable, both are equally valuable. All right, Brother Dave has an umbrella. In case you don't know what they look like, would you open it up and model it for us, Brother Vanna? All right, there it is. There it is, right there, singing in the rain. So we see the, the support pillar that is created. Thank you. Maybe. I didn't play sports for a reason. We see the support is important in this umbrella. And without that, that protection, this, this, the, the support pillar becomes vulnerable. But without the support, this part is worthless. You see, each of you work together in this marriage relationship. And when, when, we, when we serve one another... With that kind of spirit of Christ, there's a unity that provides protection not only for the wife, but for the children and the grandchildren. You see, God's called us to something greater than just living for self. You see, in the last days, perilous times shall come, and there shall be those who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We recognize this, and let me just encourage us today to see that God's got a greater purpose for our life. God's got a greater purpose for your life as a man than to be just a, a consumer of anything and everything that brings you pleasure. God's called you to be that one that supplies that protection for His family. And God's called you, lady, to say, listen, I'm going to be the one that's going to help hold up the arms I'm going to be that, like that Aaron and her, and I'm going to help support my husband in every way I can in leading our family and providing for our family. You see, it doesn't mean that one is more valuable than the other. Both of them work cohesively together so that there is a, a, a beautiful union here. You see, this idea behind God-given roles in marriage is that one supports the other. And the Bible says in Titus 2, 4, and 5, 
so that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keep her at home, good, uh, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Uh, now, I want you to see in this that, that the wife is called to love her husband. She's called to love her children. And this role allows her to be that keepers at home. Now, growing up, for instance, my dad was a great carpenter, and he could build anything. And oftentimes, we, our house was often under construction, uh, always building something, adding on, changing, doing something in the house. And, and you know, uh, what I noticed is, is that, that he built great houses, but my mom made a home. You see, one provided the house, but one made it a home. And it's the same thing here. You know, since mom's been in heaven, that, that home is different. That home doesn't feel the same because each one has a responsibility. Each had a role that they filled and her presence made it, makes it feel like a home. You see, each had a complementary role and that's us too. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. You know, a man was, said one time, he said, I married my wife for her looks, but not the one she's been giving me lately. Listen, strive to keep the heart of your husband. Strive to, uh, to, to fight for the heart of your husband because, uh, and, and to serve one another as God has intended. Now one last thing, and I'll, I'll be very brief here. That purpose of marriage is also for the raising of godly children. And we think about this, one of the real privileges of the home is hearing the pitter-patter of little feet across the floor. Do you remember those days? Anymore, it's the clomp-clomp of the groggy kids marching through the house. You know what I mean? It changes with years. But when they were little, it was a little pitter-patters. It was so cute. I love to hear that early in the morning, coming down the stairs, walking across the little floors, and, and you'd hear them, and they climb up in your lap, and it was just the sweetest thing. Now they're like, kabom, 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 like elephants, you know. But God calls us to raise children. The Bible says in, in Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalms 127, verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. They are God's gift to us. Never neglect the opportunity to share with your child the value that they are to you. I love and cherish those moments when I get some one-on-one -on -one time. When you have four kids, you don't get it very much. But when, when, when we have some one-on-one -on -one time, whether it's uh, in the truck or in the shop or uh, we're doing a project around the house, man, I, I want to remind them, listen, you are valuable to me and I love you. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, he says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, if, you have, if, if you were in the military, you went into boot camp and their desire is to break you down. Very first thing they want to do. And then they build you up. In some respects, we think maybe sometimes God's called us to break down our children, but God calls us in, instead to train them up, to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. This is not affirming sin. It's dealing with sin, affirming them in the love of Christ. Hudson Taylor, who was the famous missionary to China, was once in the USA on furlough. And for his birthday, his five-year-old daughter, uh, Maria, couldn't afford to buy him a gift, so she made one. And you know, like all kids, as they make these little gifts, uh, they come and they bring them to you with big old grins, and you look at them and you think, what in the world is that thing they have? Well, that was just exactly what there was. It was a small piece of wood, had a peg in the middle, and it had a little uh, a cockle shell on the top of it. 
And since Mr. Taylor didn't understand exactly what it was, he began to probe her for questions. Well, this is quite the little gadget you've got here. And, and, and he's trying to encourage her heart and say, man, this is just wonderful. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with it. And, and finally, exasperated, Maria exclaimed, why, Daddy, don't you know what it is? It's a ship. It's a ship. I thought you'd like it. this best for your birthday so you could go back to China. Yeah, our children are precious. And you know, they know us better than anybody else. And the Bible says that we should give them direction in this life. Psalm 127 verse 4 says, As arrows in, uh, are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You know, a warrior will direct his arrows. But long before he directs his arrows, he carefully molds and shapes them. Now, if I want arrows, I go to Bass Pro and I buy me a six-pack. Not a big deal. Six-pack of arrows, I'm ready to go for the season. But in that day, there was no Bass Pro, and they had to carefully find a, a, a sapling that was long and as straight as possible. And then over fire and tedious time, they would shape these arrows, and they would mold them so that they would be straight, because the straighter an arrow was, the straighter it would fly. And with great time and care, they would, uh, they would straighten these arrows so that when they pointed them in a direction and they let them go, they would fly where they were intended. You see, part of our life's purpose is to bring up our children in Christ, to train them to love and to honor the Lord above everything else. This requires a daily sacrifice, even hourly giving of myself to the Lord first and then to my family. Each year in Alaska, there's a thousand-mile dog sled race. It's a, uh, it's a run for prize money and prestige, and it commemorates an original race, a race that was run to save lives. Back in January of 1926, six-year-old Richard Stanley showed symptoms of diphtheria, signaling that there was a possible outbreak in the small town of Nome. And when the boy passed away a day later, the Dr. Curtis Welch began immunizing the children and adults with an experimental but effective anti-diphtheria serum. But it wasn't long before he ran out of supply. And the nearest serum was in Nina, Alaska, a thousand miles away. And this is frozen wilderness. And amazingly, though, a group of tra trappers, a group of prospectors, they rallied to the cause and they volunteered to go after and to cover this thousand-mile distance in sub-zero temperatures to be able to bring this serum back to Nome. And they operated in relays from trading post to trapping station and beyond. And, and one still sled started out from uh, Nome while another carrying the serum had started out from uh, Nanana. And, they, and they, were, uh, they suffered frostbite, they suffered fatigue, exhaustion, and ultimately, uh, they, after 144 hours, the serum was delivered to Nome, Alaska. As a result, the only, uh, there was only one other life that was lost to this epidemic. You see, their life, their sacrifice had given an entire town the gift of life. You see, your marriage has purpose. It's either to serve you or to serve God. If we were to pause and, and be honest, what would you say the purpose of your marriage is today? Has it been maybe just to get what I want out of it? You know, your spouse was not put here to make you happy. That's the truth. She was put here or he was put here to serve the Lord. You see, when we see this, this call in marriage and we see this ultimate godly purpose, then we, it changes the dynamic and the perspective in relationships. This morning, I would urge every couple here that's today, 
Maybe you are reminded of this. Maybe this is the first time you, you realize that the purpose of this relationship is different than what you intended. Maybe it's time to just say, listen, God, we want to bow together and we want to live this life, live our marriage so that Christ can be glorified. But before you could ever do that, you must first have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can't do this on your own. You have to have this relationship by trusting in the finished work of Christ who died on the cross for you. You see, His death provides forgiveness and redemption. And so the question is, will you come and accept Him today? Will you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be forever, uh, be ever, forever sealed as a child of God so that you can live for Him, so you can have that joy? He says the, the byproduct of walking in the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. You see, against such there is no law. And God says, listen, this can be your life. Maybe, Christian, you're here today and, and you just had your priorities upside down. Maybe it's just time as a couple we kneel together and once again reaffirm our commitment, reaffirm our purpose together. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked His disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And He offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?